In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is the time of a new beginning, the dawn of a new age. Anticipation is in the air. Hope is kindled anew. Rescue is on the horizon. It's time for great innovation and progress. The world is set on an upward course. Arts and medicine and literature and science and technology are advancing. And even as the world suffers the effects of pandemic and disease, many things are getting better. But not for everyone, not for God's people. For God's people, it is a dark time. The religious establishment has been methodically taken over by politics, and political opponents are declared heretics and shunned. Rather than resist the unjust rules and laws of those above them, rulers defer to the directives and orders that come down from above. They bestow privileges on all who submit, but oppress anyone refusing to comply. Traditions of men replace God's word, even in the church. And yet you are compelled to yield to their demands. But even though so many things have changed, these things aren't entirely new. There is nothing new under the sun. Even when there are new orders and decrees from the overlords, Today still seems a good deal like yesterday, and tomorrow probably won't be much different from today. Because it still means that a man gets up and does his job. He goes to work, takes up a hammer, pounds the nails into the wood, and goes home. He's done it several times before, and he's going to do it again. For him, it was a normal day. And it was a normal day. The sun sets, parents make dinner, kids go to bed, and everyone prepares for a holiday. By all appearances, it's an unremarkable day. And yet, you are gathered here on this day because something did happen. Political, legal, and cultural implications are evident. It is the end of oppression and the dawn of a new age. What is nailed there for everyone to see was only the beginning. It meant freedom and truth and peace with God. It meant the way out. It meant the freedom of the conscience. That singular event would spark conversations the world over for generations to come. Millions would look to this day and find hope for what was nailed to the wood that day is the reason that you are here on this day. It's why anyone anywhere is in church today. Because Jesus Christ, true God and true man, was nailed to the wood, crucified for the sins of the whole world.
That is what brings you to church today. And that is why our paraments are red, the color of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit accompanies the preaching of God's word with fire. And so that's why, even when the world continues its march toward progress, that we gather in this place to receive our Lord's gifts. And that's why, even when the world seems to be falling apart, that we gather in this place to receive our Lord's gifts. Now, if we weren't observing the reformation of the Lord's church today, the usual gospel would have been the text about rendering to Caesar or to God. Our children had that lesson today in Sunday school. Now, you, you know how this text goes. The Pharisees get their disciples along with the Herodians together and gang up on Jesus, trying to trap him in his words, hoping they can turn him into a political enemy. But Jesus sees through their conspiracy And after discussing the image on their money, he declares that Caesar is to have Caesar's things and God is to have God's things. It's about the proper use of your money, about stewardship, about supporting the preaching of God's word, about giving the proper due to each authority. You see, Jesus isn't really interested in getting your tax money. It belongs to Caesar. He's not interested in amassing all the coins that have Caesar's image on them. They belong to Caesar. Caesar rules by reason to reward good and punish evil. But Jesus rules the hearts of men by his word. Jesus rules the conscience. So this question of rendering to Caesar or to God, this question of the purpose of the Reformation, comes down to this. Who is ruling your conscience? What rules and laws are permitted to burden your conscience? Caesar's or God's? And now there's, there's a truth about the conscience that basically means that your conscience is going to be ruled, right? Your conscience judges right from wrong, but it doesn't have an internal standard by itself. And so if your conscience isn't ruled by God's word, it will be ruled by man. So that means in this place, in the church, this place is to be a place ruled by God's word. And that also means it shouldn't look like a place ruled by Caesar's edicts. This place should not show forth the symbols of Caesar's realm. But what you see here should show you that this place is ruled by the Lord's word and his gifts. Now, over the last 20 months, you've heard Caesar make proclamations about Christians Proclamations even about the gospel. At different times and in various places, you heard that Christians weren't permitted to have church. They couldn't gather for worship. They had to change their worship practices. They couldn't receive the Lord's Supper. Or if they did, they weren't permitted to receive the blood of Christ from the chalice. 
Perhaps they couldn't sing out loud. And so under the secular state religion, separation of church and state now means that you have to keep your religion inside your heart, and you can't let it out. But when Caesar conflicts with Jesus, we remember that Jesus is king over Caesar. You don't ask Caesar for permission to be a Christian. You don't ask his permission to go to church, to receive communion, to visit the suffering, to speak and teach and pray and sing hymns to God. You don't ask his permission to say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, that marriage is the one flesh union of one man and one woman, that killing babies in the womb is evil, You don't ask his permission to instruct your children in this faith. And if Caesar tells you that believing what God's word says and confessing it is illegal, that believing and worshiping and speaking like a Christian is against the law, then you defy. You don't comply. You disobey. You refuse. Now, I'm not trying to be a rebel. This is the standard that's clear from the apostles in Acts 5. We must obey God rather than men. Those apostles obey God. Even against a government order to be silent, they continue to speak the name that is above every name. And for that, they are beaten. Which, by the way, they receive that persecution willingly. And the Christians rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for that name. So if Caesar says that you cannot do what God commands, then you disobey. If Caesar says that your pastor cannot preach this or that doctrine, he must refuse to comply. Because God's word commands your pastor to preach the full counsel of God's word in and out of season. And if Caesar, in his infinite wisdom, were to declare it unsafe to have communion, then you say, no, it is far more unsafe to not have communion. It is far more dangerous for me and my children to go without the body and blood of Jesus. God's word and his salvation is far more important to me than health or wealth or the things of this body and life. It is far more dangerous for me to listen to you, Caesar, instead of Jesus. Now, we are the church of the Lord's Reformation, of a legacy and tradition passed down to us that says the church's doctrine conforms only to God's word. So we put these realities side by side, We see that God's things belong to him, that his word alone rules the conscience, and that the Reformation is about the Lord's word having free course within his church. So then we know what we must do today. So when the government concludes with the religion of the day to declare new doctrines, to say that God's word is no longer the most important thing, then the church that follows God's word must say no. But this also means 
that you take comfort. Your Lord Jesus didn't come to overthrow Caesar, but to die for him. So as long as Caesar does what God has given government to do, then you obey him as God's instrument for your good. And whether he does what God has given him to do or not, you pray for him. Now, Jesus didn't come to solve the problem of high taxes or to pay what you owe to Caesar, but to pay what you owed to God. Not with executive order or OSHA regulations, not even with the sword, but with wounds. With his bloody scars, he paid to God the obedience that you owed him. Jesus came to give you what no government or false doctrine ever could, to comfort and to relieve your conscience. So your allegiance to him is far greater than that to any government or state or ruler. So don't be afraid if you see your nation falling apart, as it seems to be doing even now. Actually, it's going to. Someday this nation will fall. Like all the nations before it, it will one day be nothing but dust and ashes. And when that happens, you lift up your head, and you remember that your citizenship is ultimately in heaven. Christ didn't come to build a political nation, but his church. Every nation will come and go and pass away. Someday hell will overcome every nation of the world, even our own. But never will the gates of hell prevail against the Lord's church which means that hell and its doctrines will never overcome you. And that's really the great truth of the Reformation. It's not about a kind of triumphalism as though we look back and praise all the things that happened in the past and look only to that for our comfort, but rather the way to observe the Reformation is to see that the Lord's word has free course in his church, it means resisting both pope and tyrant when they prevent this preaching. It means gathering where people are turned away from their sins and toward Jesus, just like what John the Baptist preached. And like it was for him, many will find that message unattractive. They said he had a demon. Well, Jesus came preaching repentance too, but that became the charge against him, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Those who follow the ways of the world would never expect a God like this. He's the opposite of everything they imagine and all that they desire. A God like this could destroy their plans. Yet Jesus will go on with his proclamation. He will continue to declare that God is for you and not against you, that you cannot earn forgiveness or ever hope to pay for it because he gives it away. That's what drove Luther and his hammer that day, a strike of a hammer that started a reformation, a reformation that continues this day, a reformation that isn't simply observed as a fond memory but celebrated 
kept and treasured. So let's keep up the reforming, not reforming the scriptures or the Lord's doctrine, because he's already settled at those, but being conformed to our Lord's image, total, utter, complete faithfulness to God and to his word. Let's keep up the preaching of repentance, of turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus. Let's hold on to that with reckless abandon. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Though these all be gone, our victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And so this reformation means that Christ will keep doing his work for you and in you. It's a brand new day. A day of freedom and truth and peace with God. The way out. The freedom of the conscience. The freedom from your sins. The kind of event that will spark conversation the world over for generations to come. It's what billions look to for hope. The kind of thing that could change the world. And it's right here. Jesus is forgiving and washing away your sins, pouring out his blood, feeding you his body, giving you his life, death, and resurrection, handed over to you for free, his gift to you. Happy Reformation. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.